I'm feeling most peculiar because I don't know whether I'm an interviewee, an interviewer, a, a sort of how to what extent I'm involved in in putting any of this together. But I uh, I just said to myself earlier, I'm just going to relax. I'm just going to talk uh, about whatever comes into my head, um, and hopefully it will make some sense. But it never normally does. So we all live in hope, JB. Yes. <laughs> so good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Anthony. And I'm JB. And we've got a most unusual session for today, which we did talk about in the last session. And we've got some wonderful, wonderful people joining us. Uh, we've got William Rogers. Uh, round of applause. It's <laughs> the first one I've ever had. <laughs> really? <laughs> and uh, we've got Dave Cool. Hello. Yep. Oh, yeah. with, a, with a nice microphone as well. You can tell there's a yeah, decent microphone. You can there. tell. Yeah. 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 What happened to your microphone, William? We've got to get you kitted out. Microphone? What's problem. a microphone? Microphone? What are you talking <laughs> yeah. about? Yeah, uh, We're so still getting used to Zoom. Before we get into everything, I have to say, so when me and JB first did our ever first ever podcast, we were incredibly nervous and had major imposter syndrome yeah. about doing it, didn't we? And Absolutely. then, and then, still Dave, do. we had yeah, we had an email from Dirk, and Ooh. all of you on this in the room will know who you refer to and refer at Dirk. Yeah, uh, and it was a few weeks later, and he said, "I've been listening for weeks," and we were like, "Oh shit!" Oh no, <laughs> that's, that's stuffed then. Um, and yeah, there was no reference of better music mix at all in there, but it was. Uh, it, nonetheless, it was quite amusing to to find these random people listening to our podcast, wasn't it? We better explain who Dirk is. Dirk is uh, was a very very serious um, broadcaster and um, manager, program manager uh, back in the day, uh, and he was tough. You know, he was a tough tough cookie. And so uh, if you didn't uh, produce uh, a compelling, relevant or entertaining show, he fired you with enthusiasm. Uh, and so we're all a bit scared. The moment that we hear the name Dirk Anthony, I think, oh, my God, I've got to do better preparation. I'm not doing enough preparation and I've got to be more authentic. Anyway, that's what Dirk Anthony is, one of those. So yeah. for the regular listeners, um, you will know every week we talk about various different topics and we also have listener questions. This week we have a, a very special edition. And so I've been given some notes to pretend that I'm some sort of really intelligent interviewer, which I have to say major <laughs> imposter syndrome is in here because I'm talking to some very professional radio experts in the room. But nonetheless, um, JB, for those of you that know, um, is the podcast partner in Crime of Mine, worked with him for years. And ironically, the conduits to all of us on this episode in the panel is that he's the one person that keeps us together today um, because previously at various points in our careers we've all worked for the same company of which um, I'm very excited to say William has joined us today as the former CEO of that company. Um, since that journey at UKID has ended uh, Jonathan, Dave and William have written a book called The No Normal Leader. And the purpose of this special edition today is to get very excited because if you're listening to this in the live audience, their book is out tomorrow. Um, and if you are listening on the recorded podcast, it was released on the 26th of March, 2021, uh, and will be available, I believe it's 83 pages, and it will be on Amazon uh, in Kindle and paper form edition um, from tomorrow. And please correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, it is £6.99 in pounds sterling, or it is two ninety nine for Kindle edition. That is correct. That is correct. Can we have a snoop session afterwards and you critique me as to whether that was informative? And you're Take really long. good. Long. Yeah, that was so well informed. Yeah. You've done your research. And may I just say thank you. That is, I've been, I've been called many things in my life, but that's the first time I've been a conduit. Oh. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I don't know what it means. 
Thank you. Um, anyway, so that that's the, the, the prequel. I mean, I guess look, it might be nice before we get into the book. Would it be useful for the benefit of the listeners if we go around the, and, and ask William and Dave to tell us a bit about their backgrounds? Because for the listeners, they won't know yes. any about where we do. So um, do you yes. mind if we, if we start with Dave? Is that, is that OK? Because he's got the nicer microphone. So I think he deserves privilege here. Fine. Uh, fantastic. Uh, OK, yeah. Um, where to start? Well, um, that company that we talked about, UKRD, that, um, you know, over the course of the last 20 years, we all um, uh, worked at, um, was really the place that I grew up. I ju- uh, joined that company when I was 16 as a work experience uh, person and um, left in uh, May 2019 as a senior executive who had primary responsibility for the content delivered uh, on all of the broadcast platforms that the radio stations owned. So that was the radio stations sort of FM broadcast itself and all of its uh, online uh, channels as well. And over those 20 years, um, I had the pleasure, uh, believe it or not, uh, of working uh, for William. Uh, And as part of that um, time at UKID, did quite a lot of work with JB as well. Um, And yeah, for 20 years, uh, worked for this quite incredible company um, that that was um, built by a number of fantastic people and led by William. Um, learned pretty much everything I know um, at that company and with the people that I worked with uh, and the people that we uh, brought in to help us. And JB was one of those people. Um, and since leaving that company, uh, William and I set up our own consultancy company. Um, it, it went so well. Um, uh, we were offered a job by one of our clients, uh, and I subsequently uh, have found myself as the managing director of a of a company called Stage Electrics. Amazing. And the UKID journey's over, but that is a sad thing. But we'll come back to that later. William. Yeah, um, I I, um, I left school when I was uh, seventeen. Didn't go to university. Wasn't um, sadly uh, thought to be clever enough at the time to do that. Um, uh, started working as, an, uh, as a clerk to an insurance broker. And then uh, when I was 24, I set up my own insurance broking business, which cracked on for 28 years, um, sold in 2012. Um, meanwhile, I had also become um, in 2020, the CEO of UKRD, which was a, a business that was in a, a, a spot of bother um, at that time, had the opportunity to work with some absolutely remarkable people, well, one of which was Dave and the other JB, um, and with a number of others, uh, including yourself, and uh, as I remember a certain point in your uh, earlier career, um, uh, built what was uh, uh, one of the most remarkable companies that, that certainly I've ever come across uh, being involved with or otherwise. And um, we built a business that um, ended up being recognized by the Sunday Times uh, as um, the uh, uh, top 100 best uh, company to work for um, four years in a row, uh, which is uh, very rare and unusual. Um, And I think the the primary um, focus of all of that was built around the people in the business and uh, most amazing opportunity for me, We, we ended up um, selling the company in um, 2019, and as Dave's mentioned, uh, he and I uh, went off with a, a colleague um, and um, set up an a, uh, a digital agency, but ended up being um, poached 
uh, out of our agency, our own agency, we were going to post out of, um, and ended up working for a, a, a company in Bristol called Stage Electrics, which Dave is the new managing director, and I have the the, the, the pleasure of uh, having the easy job of, of chairman whilst Dave does all the hard work, which is something I can recommend to everybody. <laughs> and, and JB, for the benefits of the listeners, obviously I know your involvement with UKID whilst as a third party has been pretty in, was significant and clearly the fact you're still connected to the executives says something about the impact you must have made well you know uh it's it's not for me to say about my contribution but um He's i uh, <laughs> but uh it was a fabulous uh company to 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 work with uh and i learned a lot from them actually and uh, I think the primary focus uh, for those years that I worked with UKRD, it was about um, developing uh, great leaders uh, at a local level uh, and a, a central level and getting the communications right, um, you know, developing people and uh, managing the business at the same time. And I think of all the companies that I've worked with over the years, uh, UKRD uh, uniquely uh, got it right in terms of doing what's right for the business and doing what's right uh, for the people uh, within it and beyond. Uh, it got that blend right. And I think it was a fabulous com combination uh, of uh, great leaders on the ground uh, locally, um, but also uh, great leaders uh, at the top. And I think, you know, not blowing smoke up William's ass, but, uh, you know, he is a fabulous, most brilliant leader um, and getting it right for the people um, is enshrined in his soul and, uh, you know, the the love and uh, values uh, that he places uh, in an organisation and the value of his people uh, is something I've never seen before uh, in an organisation. And that's why I say that I learned an enormous amount uh, from the relationships with these two guys, um, which gave me the confidence uh, when William called me over a year ago, just over a year ago, I guess, I can't remember precisely when, um, to say, would you would you like to do something with us? Um, and I, I didn't really know what it was uh, right from the start. And I just thought, yes, Absolutely. I don't know what it is. Is it making coffee, ice cream? Is it running a business? Is it playing tennis? I don't care. Just get me in, get me involved. And here we are on a flipping podcast talking about what we've just been and gone and done. Yeah. And and it for me, you know, obviously from the outsider in this conversation, um, I certainly would say that UKID, whilst it was a part of my career, was incredibly influential because I realised that actually organizations that might be quite siloed and have lots of different entities can still create this really amazing culture and any company i've gone to since i've always thought about how can they create the ukrd effect um and actually it's fair to say and jb knows this and i don't want to blow too much smoke up his ass but ultimately it was the program in which i met him when i was at ukrd that motivated me to move from commercial side of the business into L&D and, and obviously the rest is history. So I think whether people have stayed in, and evidently you've moved into different things now, Dave, as have, have you, William, and, and obviously have had your experience in the insurance industry as well. I think what I've 
campaigned tirelessly since is any company can create the right culture if they have the right values. And I'm guessing as we as we then move this conversation into the book, which is I'm guessing why you're all here. I mean, don't get me wrong; it's nice to have a chit chat and all that. But um, I, I wondered if you were going to raise it. <laughs> well, don't don't worry. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I mean, well, so, it's anyway, going to come sooner or later. Yeah. Well, anyway, so that's up. <laughs> anyway, next week, guys, we'll be talking about you. Thanks for your time. Um, so, um, but in terms of of your your time at UKRD, then starting with you, William, what would you say are the main lessons and the impact that's made on on the book, the No Normal Leader, six ninety nine? Uh, Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think the, the, the first place to start uh, is one we've already touched on in, in this sort of preliminary conversation, and that, that is actually culture. And for us, I think, uh, and, and it comes through through the book, you know, chapter by chapter in that sense, um, it is the single most important building block that you can build a business or f- probably for that matter, any organization upon. It's culture. You know what are its what are its boundaries? How important within those boundaries are the rules? So important to have a, a a bunch of diverse people with different views openly discussing, you know, where they might go and and you know for for us, challenge and openness and and listening and valuing are all pretty important. And a business will have uh, a marketing uh, strategy and it will have a, a resource strategy and it will have a content strategy if it's a media business and all the sorts of things that you have a product development strategy. How many businesses actually try and formally create a wraparound people strategy? And that's really what a culture is because the single most important any important asset any business has is its people. And if you recognize that, once you've recognized that, then it's fundamentally important that you um, provide the opportunity for those people to really grow and flourish and develop. You know, one of the most amazing things about um, uh, the whole cultural approach, which is why I think all three of us are so passionate about it, is the better you get that right, and the more effective it is, the better your business will be because people will contribute to it. They'll actually, even though you wouldn't necessarily expect them to do this, and you just certainly don't demand it of them, but they end up working just that little bit more, maybe a little bit longer, maybe a little bit harder, because they actually want to get into the business and do their bit. Valuing people fundamentally is what it's all about. And the culture about that valuing of people is what wraps around the business to give it a formal identity. So in UKRD's case, we had a culture built around six words. It doesn't have to be that. It can be a culture built around whatever's relevant to the people in your business. So fundamentally, the single most important building block a business has is its culture. And get that right, and frankly, everything else will follow. I just want to add something, actually. Uh, William mentioned those six words. Um, And uh, when Ant and I do international work um, and we start facilitating conversations with people we've never met before, uh, you might be interested to know that uh, the three words that go up on a flip chart or a whiteboard or whatever it happens to be are open, honest, fair. Uh, we take those three words and say, this is how we actually want to work. Three things that we're going to start the conversation off with about being open, honest, fair. And then we say, here's the pen. You put up what you want to put up and then we'll work to that. So we create a little micro 
um, business, a little room full of values, and we stick to it and we refer back to that during however long that intervention is. But um, open, honest, fair is here's some words. What do you reckon? And we have a big discussion about it. And and those values um, and doing a, running a business through good values uh, like that really taught me about just just be open enough to lead a conversation through values as a starting point. And and that gave me confidence to do that rather than what do you want to get out of this when you leave the room? Um, <laughs> We've you know, been there. <laughs> I, I don't want, you know, that's, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be one of those. So my, I, I am much more uh, values led and values confident as a result of uh, that experience uh, with you guys and um, being able to facilitate uh, groups and people in your business using those values. It's interesting, it, David, you say that because we, we originally started with five values and it was when we were going through the listening process. In fact, uh, as it happens, coincidentally, uh, the person who came up with the sixth actually was Dave, who who fought very hard to have fair put into that that list. And, and I, the one thing I think we also found that when you have an identifiable culture, whether it's uh, some sentences or whether it's words, as in our case, what it also does is it requires a 360 understanding of what each of those words means. And it gives both management and members of the team the opportunity to look at things through the different end of their respective telescope and actually force a discussion about what's fair to the individual, fair to the company, fair to the shareholders, fair to the, yeah. uh, uh, the, the customers in the business, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all of that. Um, it comes out of a set of words that when they're properly addressed, fair being a very good example, because fair is not necessarily the same. And I think a lot of people confuse those things. So culture is a great place to start for a business, to start determining how it wants to run itself. And interestingly enough, since you, you raised those three, um, one of them came out of um, a, a contribution Dave made to that debate, which we listened to. And that was many, many years ago when we started out on that agenda. So at any level in the business, uh, providing you open your ears wide enough, you can hear some great stuff. Dave, um, obviously with your lifelong experience, you know, 20 years in, in UKID, and as you say, most of the things you've learned from it, what what has the world of UKID and radio informed in your thinking of the book? And I guess linked into that, what are you taking into your new role? Because clearly now... I guess you have an opportunity to create that culture in your new world. So how's that informed the future for the next steps? It's a, it's a really good question. I think um, the overarching uh, word, and and it's one that we've already uh, talked about a lot already, is culture and the importance of that. Um, and making sure that you don't lose sight of the fact that your people, um, the company's people, are ultimately the most important aspect um, of the business and if you get looking after your people right on terms that are are fair um, for for all stakeholders um, the rest um, isn't easy uh, but it certainly comes a little easier as a result um, so culture I think is the sort of overarching um, takeaway um, clearly from my time at UKRD but sort of drawing on the radio experience I guess you know, I am widely considered to be one of the world's worst radio presenters. Uh, I started my career uh, in radio um, as a radio presenter, 16, 
Uh, There's a lot of people in radio who don't really know that about themselves. Uh, so it's yeah. good that you're admitting it. Oh, um, yeah, you, JB, you've helped me with um, <laughs> reflecting and self-awareness and uh, generally beating myself up about just how bad I was on the radio. Uh, I'm I, I was, nothing at all at this point. <laughs> I was, I was um, shocking on, on the radio, um, but loved the people and loved the industry. And one of the things that I... I took from working with some really talented people. I mean, we we had the pleasure, and it was an absolute pleasure, of working with some incredibly talented people who achieved things in the industry um, that that were not only market leading; they were often, you know, firsts um, in the industry. And one of the things that great radio presenters can do is communicate really well. They can tell a story, and actually, when you you strip it back and you think about you know, what is the day to day job of a leader it's communicating and it is telling a story you know come with me join me we're going on this journey this is where we're going to go this is why we want to go there this is what's in it for you yes i know it's tough all of those sorts of things are exactly what a, a really talented and william and i had the pleasure of working with tens of them uh, on a daily basis um really talented radio presenters do that and taught me how to do that, not on the radio, because I was dreadful at that, but helped me actually grow, I think, as a leader and as someone who was able to communicate. Um, so I, I think culture, and then specifically my time in radio, the the ability to communicate and tell great stories, which I think is um, one of the key component parts of being a, a good leader. JB, I know, I know you, uh, you know, and I'm sure all of the all of the guys on the panel here today, and some of our people in the live audience, I recognise some of the names, know your triangle very well, and a lot of your triangle thinking has been around leadership, in particular, inspired by some of the radio terminology. You know, you have a vision, and to Dave's point, greater storytelling, but you've got to create a campaign. If you if you have an idea and you don't campaign it, like an advert, play it once, you're not going to have the awareness that you need. Um, how has um, that um, dictated what you do now as your career and how has that been fed into the book? I'm trying to bring it back to the book because you guys are the ones taking it off tangents, by the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'll try and connect up the two the two parts. And uh, back in 2005, I, I left commercial radio and set up my company. And my mission really was to help people like me and people that had been thrust into uh, leadership positions because they were quite good at selling or uh, good at some sort of technical capability. Um, and without any great training, uh, they're thrown into these positions. And I think, what, how, what, how do I do this? You know, how do I get what's right for the business? And, and all of these demanding people. And in radio, you know, there's some precocious, pretentious, most brilliant um, talent you could ever possibly try and manage. Some of it is a completely unmanageable, uh, the talent in radio. And uh, that was the challenge that I thought, having experienced that, I, I want to try and get this balance right uh, of leadership, uh, managing the business and, you know, the hard stuff, the KPIs, uh, the systems, the processes, uh, the objectives, the tasks, the outcomes. That is a language. That is that is a, a thing that you turn up and do, and you do it. It is a given that you're capable. Uh, you have the competence to, to run the business. But what often happens is people are not trained and are not qualified, really, 
to coach, uh, mentor, supervise, even instruct a team. And so the triangle was built around the three points of leadership, management and coaching, which were the areas that I felt uh, that I had uh, significant uh, gaps in any one of those areas. Um, but with the learning and the hindsight, I thought I'd populate my triangle with not only the stuff that I did well and didn't do so well, uh, but also gather over years of, of experience now, things that I notice, things that, 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 that go into populating those three spaces of, of, of leading, leading teams, inspiring and campaigning, um, and also coaching, uh, and you know, really facilitating thinking and learning and performance uh, in others and individuals, which, by the way, is the thing that excites me most these days. Um, but also being realistic and practical, we have to make the business work really effectively. And the thing that glued all of this together uh, was the trust piece right at the middle of the triangle. So if you if you imagine the triangle as an equilateral triangle. Uh, with the triangle at the top to the right and to the to the left hand side, it gives way to an uh, upside down part, which is your trust. And that's where uh, I think this book um, actually uh, excels, uh, and a significant part of the practical elements of the book is about trust and trust in self, trust in others, trust in teams. And it is our. It is one of the the fundamentals of the eight things uh, that we have in the book about how to make that work. And and I think companies like the example that we've given of UKRD uh, had a massive emphasis on trust. For me, all of those values uh, actually, if if they were in a a cookie jar, on that jar, it would be called trust. Um, you know, trusting all of those elements. So for me, it was a natural uh, way to get into um, being part of writing this book. The book is about um, the kind of contrast, uh, the reality of the world that we live in now. Um, and, you know, people, uh, when they say to be now, having been part of writing this book, uh, well, it will be great when things get back to normal. M my stomach turns and my my heart rate goes faster because now, having done all of this work and the three of us have done the analysis and, and done our own self-awareness on it, there is no going back to normal. There is no going back to normal. Um, but equally, when people say to me, well, we're going to reach a new normal, uh, we're on our way to a new normal. I go, oh no, 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 no. Steady on, steady on, because I think we are now. Um, well, we always have been, and this is this is the the point that I think my uh, fellow authors will 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 expand on. Uh, that is that it has always been no normal, and uh, we de we desire. Uh, psychological safety from the concept of uh, going back to normal and a new normal. And we believe that there are significant risks uh, to organisations and the people within those organisations 
uh, with the fallacious horseshit of going back to normal uh, or getting to a new normal. Now, um, I've got the book back into the conversation. And that, that's good because I, I was ready armed with a, with an angle, if not. Um, so, so when I heard the title of the book, it resonated with me in particular because of the industry in which all of us have represented. Because I felt I started, I was a bit older than Dave. I was 19 when I got into radio. And at the time there was networking. So there was change, which created uncertainty. And I think for people that aren't in the understanding of the radio industry, it's had it from every angle. It's been competing for advertising revenue as internet came along and took away the ways for us to make money locally for local advertisers. Um, from a listener's perspective, why would I want to listen to the same hour and 10 minute rotation? Okay, that's global. Uh, sorry, I mean, you don't, I'll edit that. Ah, I can say that. Um, they can't see me. It's not libelous. It's true. Um, so, you know, um, but, but ultimately you're competing for listeners when your phone can now store all of your favorite songs on a shuffle. Um, so you're competing for, for intimacy. You're competing for people's music. You're competing for advertising revenue. So with all of that, the industry's had to really consolidate. Plus, obviously, the big boys have been coming along and, and eating up the other businesses which i could imagine when i read the the title i thought happy days because to your point jb you know there is change you know i, I when i went to other businesses william and dave you know the first thing was well, change is coming what do you mean change it changes all the time <laughs> but but the uncertainty comes from how the leaders cope with that change and how they create certainty in uncertain times but but william obviously look you know i'm, I'm conscious that the no normal leader um, that there's lots of management books out there, but I'm, and I'm hoping this one, and I sense the No Normal Leader gives a bit of a different angle. And, and what would you say that is? Uh, I think it. I think it does. Um, and by the way, you know, as as, as we all know, there are thousands uh, of business books out there. So um, unless this one is different in some way, um, I think probably anybody that, that buys it and read it reads it might feel. Um, shortchanged and and basically what the book does is it argues vehemently that there is no such thing as normal there is no such thing as new normal only a permanent state of no norm no normal uh, situations and arguably um it's how you prepare your business for dealing with that no normality if you like and how you and particularly from a leader's perspective which is where the book is absolutely quite ruthlessly focused on it, it is for people who have the leadership challenge in a business it's it's not for everybody in that sense it, you could argue it's different in the sense that it's whilst it's philosophically robust about its position it is very singularly targeted to those people who have to lead their businesses and it's basically, and it's a word actually JB threw into the conversation very early on when we were sort of thinking our way through the book and what it needed to say and how it needed to say it. It's about a business ultimately being in a permanent state of readiness. And that doesn't mean that the business is permanently on edge five days a week, six days a week, seven days a week. It simply means that it has the capacity, the capability, the behaviors, the culture to get it ready for whatever may come along. Now, clearly, if you've got a, a small business and you operate from a hut on a beach, uh, if there's an <laughs> earthquake and the beach disappears, it doesn't matter how ready your business is, uh, you ain't going to be able to run your business from that hut any longer. So, of course, there will always be circumstances 
when something, it doesn't matter how ready you are, you simply cannot prevent the tsunami washing you away. But that is incredibly rare. And the vast majority of businesses every single day in a small way will face a new challenge. And sometimes every year, two, three, four, five years, they will chase a, they will face a significant challenge. And it's how are you, how are you getting your business ready for that? What are the, the, the policies, the structures, the cultures, what, what do they need to be to enable you to step up and make those changes, move sideways, go right, go left, go forward a bit faster, stop and go backwards a couple of paces. How are your people going to respond? And how do you wrap all of that together? And we set out very clearly in a quite at times opinionated way. And that's intentional because we want there to be debate. We want people who read the book to think about what we're saying, even argue about it if they don't like it. But what we want people to do is to reflect on the readiness that their business has to deal with changes uh, as they crop up, big or small, and ultimately face up to the reality that business every day is no normal. Every day is no normal. And it therefore doesn't matter what crops up. If you get all of the structures right, you get your culture right, the behaviors respond, your people are valued and engaged, you have a structure in place that readily facilitates you moving in any direction, you will survive most of the things that will be thrown at your business. That fundamentally is, is the argument where we're presenting. Down with normal, down with new normal, up with no normal readiness. And that's what we're arguing. Um, Dave, um, the book I'm imagining was perfectly timed as a um, guidebook, I guess, taking on your new role, because um, I think if anyone hasn't realised there's been something quite world changing for the last 12 months in the form of COVID and your organisation that you now lead um, is clearly going to be one of those ones that's going to be impacted and actually arguing to William's point that is almost a hut on a beach with a tsunami coming. H how do you, you know, what what inspiration have you taken from the book and your experience into an industry now that has been hugely disrupted by, by the world outside? Uh, it's a good question. Um I think, you know, just before I answer that, I think listening to William speak, you know, and it, I guess, in part begins to answer the question, you know, good leaders, great leaders are change ready. Um, and uh, that's one of the things that I've um, I've taken from the process of, um, of playing my part in writing the book. Um, in terms of the book and um, what I apply on the day to day, um, I guess the book is is sort of part manifesto, um, part scorecard uh, for me personally. Um, so I was saying to the guys, we we were chatting a couple of weeks ago, uh, and they asked, oh, "Are you using it?" It's like every day. <laughs> <laughs> the right answer needed, Dave. <laughs> every day, I'm, and, and you know, there are a, a number of uh, parts of the book that I. Um, constantly go back to there's there's eight specific points and chapters um and i i score myself against those um on a daily definitely weekly basis um because i know what great leaders do um but you know hand on heart uh doing that every day uh well i don't get it right every day 
uh, it's, it's, I think, perhaps almost impossible to do that. But to have something that, like I say, sort of part manifesto, part scorecard slash reminder uh, has, been, has been hugely um, valuable to me. And it will be, although it hasn't yet been, uh, it will be a useful tool, I think, to communicate with the team what they can expect of me uh, and in time how I hope um, we can create an army of no normal leaders. Um, because to your point, Anne, you know, the last year has seen some change. Um, and I suspect uh, the next <laughs> um, year we'll see just as much um, for different reasons. And then again, and then again, because nothing stays the same. And, you know, it's back to that point. I think great leaders are change ready. Um, they're looking for it. They're excited by it. And I think the more people you have in a business that are up for that scrap, because it's often a scrap when change comes, um, the better you are as a business and the more likely you are to succeed. So, yeah, the book is a manifesto, scorecard uh, and reminder of the right track to be on. So I'm guessing there's a second copy, one you're marking all over with scores and things, and the clean copy, which is signed by JB and Williams. So, yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, Dave, you make reference to these 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 eight things, and I know from travelling the world with JB, as we all know, he can come up with some metaphors, especially with a drink in hand. And I was not surprised on your website, which JB probably wants to give a mention to in a moment, that it features an octopus. Um, the octopus and the book, JB, it would be great for you to kind of give us a bit of an understanding about how those connect. Well, uh, which came first, the eight points or the octopus? And um, I, I actually have to tell you uh, that the, the octopus became our book mascot very early on. And we, we kind of designed around uh, the octopus a little bit. But it is fortuitous that, um, you know, when, when we did the work on these eight uh, practical things that you can do as a leader to become ready uh, and to, to actually gain advantage from being uh, ready competitively and culturally and in every possible way, uh, eight just seemed to seem to work. I mean, I, doing a lot of the work on that myself, I, I tried to push it into more numbers, but it just wouldn't, it refused to budge and it stuck at eight. Um, and a little bit about uh, the metaphor, the mascot of the octopus. The octopus is an extraordinary beast. It is an amazing beast. Imagine Ant having three brains Imagine I'm, I'm sat um, around them. This, this yeah. I see you're building this metaphor. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but but I'm just that. That's just um, comparing you with me. I mean, I've got three brains, <laughs> but but um, an octopus. How many do you think an octopus has? I don't nine. Know. Nine. It's got nine brains. It's got uh, its central brain, and it's got eight brains. Uh, that are positioned in each of its eight tentacles. And I'm glad I said it right today, because sometimes I get that wrong. Mm. Um, and we know what happens it, when you say the no, wrong no, thing, Jamie, no, don't we? No, yeah, there's a separate <laughs> quiz online for what that might be, but we won't go there. <laughs> and um, it's got three hearts. It's got three hearts because it's got a lot of pumping uh, to do. It's got to pump all... 
uh, the blood through to all the various parts of its um, body and you know you get you get this kind of feeling that this is this isn't a normal beastie this is something quite extraordinary it's got 2,000 suckers um, that can taste um, all 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 of those things can taste so it can go up to something and just taste all the it can shapeshift uh, it's got no bones so it can go into the tiniest little space space so it's it's a dynamic beast it can change color um, if one of those tentacles gets chopped off or damaged within a hundred days, uh, that brain and that tentacle is replaced. So that's why uh, the octopus became our mascot because uh, it is no normal. Um, I'm not going to talk about its mating habits because that certainly isn't normal. That's most peculiar. Is that is that um, is that kind of where you this although, book meets although some people might <laughs> say yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. It does it does involve uh, the female mate eating the male um, at the point of action, but I shall leave it there. Um, the uh, so that's the, the the fabulous octopus being the metaphor for the book. We, you know, it, it describes the readiness uh, for change and the dynamism uh, that comes um, from being a great sort of no normal octopus like leader, um, but also getting it right between the central uh, control, the central decision making, but allowing for enough decision making. Uh, working independently in all the other parts, and I, you know, I think of UKRD, and and it was a brilliant octopus uh, because it had all of the working parts working independently in all of its different uh, domains and areas. But there was strong connection and strong communication from the central brain. That's the octopus. Uh, the book. Uh, pulls those eight points together. I'm not going to go through all of them, but I'm just going to pick on one, uh, which I think is germane to the rest of our conversation today, and it's trust. And, and the reason trust, I'm picking trust, is because if you take away uh, the concept of back to normal and reaching a new normal, from people's thinking, if you if you just imagine that, just take away the idea. Well, things are going to be going back to normal soon. It'll all be fine. Mm. Uh, but we're going to reach a new normal, aren't we? So you take that away, you've actually really disturbed the waters. You've really made things very very difficult for that individual. So you need a strategy uh, to actually support uh, and reinforce uh, new thinking and growth mindset thinking. And that's where trust uh, becomes so important and can be defined uh, in, in four areas. And that is uh, making damn sure uh, that you've got the right levels of caring and, and compassion uh, in your organization, that you are turning up consistently and your management team are turning up consistently even when everything outside is completely inconsistent and crazy uh, the other thing is candor being honest about the situation and not succumbing to it'll all be fine when we get to the new normal or don't worry love it'll be fine we'll go back to normal anytime soon Mm -mm. That to me, that's that's actually dangerous because it's sweeping stuff under the carpet and not necessarily hitting that that 
uh, candor point. And the other point, which is kind of, I think, is illustrated really well in the book, um, and that is about capability. And, and we trust when we get the team practised and practised and practised uh, with the right attitudes, the right beliefs, the right values, the right communication from the top of the octopus to all the tentacles and back up again, that capability is part of trusting your team and making sure that we're ready for that change and, and we can get a grip on it. Because if that leadership team or leader doesn't have that capability, then the other parts don't really matter. So we've got to have that practised and rehearsed and learnt. Um, William, um, for, for our listeners' benefit, we we know from experience from the questions we get submitted, there are differing levels of leadership that listen to the podcast. We will have company owners and we'll have first-line managers and we'll even have non-managers that have the ambition to go there. Um, by reading this book, regardless of their level of experience, what things can they take from it that are relevant to their level at that time of their career? I, I think if, if, if you are a leader or you have aspirations to be a leader, and by the way, there are many different types of leader and, and the leader we're advocating is a particular style of leadership. There are people who are particularly autocratic and if they are particularly autocratic, then they won't get beyond page one of this book <laughs> because it's not about autocratic leadership. And it's really important to, to draw distinctions uh, between those styles of, of leadership. What, what this book is about is the sort of leader we think is the best sort of leader to run a business or an organization. It doesn't mean it's the only type. We might not even be right. We might be wrong. But it is very clear, very simply laid out. And if you have uh, an aspiration, either as a present leader or a future would-be leader, to run a business in such a way that you genuinely, and I use that word uh, advisedly, genuinely want to be engaging, you want to value the people who work for your business, you want to open up innovation and creativity and commitment a sense of um, belonging and ownership of the business, whatever role you may perform within it. If you want to lead a business in that way, maximizing opportunities for people as well as the company, then this is the book for you. If you want to turn up, have your giant damn sign in your car parking place, have an office three times the size of the uh, next manager in line in the business and you want to walk through your building and I've met some of these people you want to walk through your building and you don't want to bother to talk to anybody as you go through then don't buy the book because you'll waste your money but if you want to be a highly effective people focused manager who values the most important component part of your business i.e the people that work in it and you want to engage innovate, create, create uh, an environment in which people are important for the contribution they make rather than from the background they come from or their sexual orientation or their ethnicity or all of those things. This is about creating a style of management that puts people at its heart and success at its core. And if you pull those things together, 
then the no normal leader is for you. If you want that big sign in your car parking space, then go and buy a different book because this ain't going to be a book that's going to appeal to you for 10 seconds. Okay, cool. Thank you. Um, I, I'm conscious of time and I know JB's, and I don't worry, you're all going to get a chance to say something else, JB, so, so relax for a second, it's fine. Um, and I'm going to start with Dave though, sorry, JB, um, but I would be keen from all of you, had you read this book and you hadn't authored it 20 years ago, what would be the one thing that you'd take from it thinking, I wish I'd have known that then? And almost the book is a way to advise future generations not to make that same mistake. So I'll pad for a second because I can see they're all they're all pondering. Look at the for those in the live audience, you can see there's lots of gazing into the distance here. But while we're doing that, if there any of the listeners in the live audience have a question for Dave, for William, or for JB, feel free to stick it into the Q and A box. You can mark it as anonymous if you so wish. Obviously, for those of you listening in the recorded podcast, you can email in your questions or your comments, and we'll talk about them in the next episode. And maybe if we're lucky, they'll come back once they're world famous booksellers. And they'll remember their roots from this podcast being its first official interview, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so anyway, padding, uh, sorry, yeah, for the listeners in the recorded podcast, globalleadershippodcast.gmail.com or glp at seedle.net. Either of those emails come through to us. Um, Dave, I hope I've padded enough uh, up to the news bulletin. Um, and uh, here we go, over to you. <laughs> well, you could have padded longer. Oh, and you, could have gone to some, you could have gone to someone else first. Uh, but uh, you didn't, uh, Suan. Um that is a whew, um, a huge uh, question. Um, I don't know if I'll be able to articulate it quite as well as I want to be able to, but I think, what do I wish I had known? I think I wish I had known the importance of people and the relationships you have with your people, whether you are the leader at the very top uh, or you are just uh, an influencer within the business that has the ability to lead without the title. Um, by the way, they're both just as important as the other in many respects. And I think fast forward to today, I think the mistake that I would have made if I hadn't experienced what I had and hadn't have put what I've learned and the others have learned into this book is it's very easy, I think, for leaders uh, to get ahead of themselves and think that they've made it when they become the leader. And that's really when it starts, the job starts, um, and you are uh, being tested by your team uh, every day in the same way you may or may not test them. Um, and I think not losing sight of that and therefore the importance of the relationship you have with your people, the trust that you put uh, in them um, would be the, the one thing that I wish I had known then, but now do. Thank you, Dave. That was a brilliant answer. Anyone would think we had padded. I hope I padded enough for you then. And and now JB wasn't Will in the script for you to answer ask that bloody question. Sorry. <laughs> and, and I know now. I know now. William and JB thinking. Well, actually, he got to go first. And what have we got left to sweep up? Anyway, on that note, JB, you're up. Well, so <laughs> sorry. <laughs> Saving the best for last, surely. Do you know? It's it's a. I, I'll try. I'll try and be brief. But um, th there are eight points uh, in in the book. Uh, which are really, really important. And um, I, I could go through all of them. I mean, so there's the support and challenge. 
um, and the relationship between supporting your people and challenging them and challenging actually is is part of supporting uh, because you've got to challenge people out of uh, thinking uh, back to normal or new normal and actually get them into a state of, of, of readiness and perpetual learning um, and having a growth mindset. So uh, that connected with the other parts to me is a massive learning and the first opportunity I think I've really had of doing a whole load of work with some some great brains and minds and connecting um, all of these elements, the relationship between all of these things on one page, if you like, uh, is a learning in itself. The book, though, the title of the book is for me, uh, I wish that I'd had that thought in my head 10 years ago about not going back to normal, not getting to a new normal, but how ready are you for no normal? Um, someone said to me something really scary the other day. Uh, COVID is a rehearsal. It's just a dress rehearsal, JB. And I just thought, oh my goodness, okay, right. So, you know, how do we politically, economically, as businesses prepare ourselves for, for that level uh, of change? I'm, I want to leave one last little quote, uh, and then I will shut up. And I found it the other day, and it, and it really does do it for me. And it's by a guy called David Hume. And this is from the 18th century. And I think this actually backs up what William was saying, is this has always been the way. And, and he says, a person is just a bundle or collection of images and feelings which succeed each other with an inconceivable rapidity and are in perpetual flux and movement. He is a um, historian economist. And I'm really interested in that statement because people... Um, are just these collections of images and feelings. And if you say, go back to normal, that's what you're relying on. So you're building the future based on these things? No, we've got to work harder than that. Uh, the book has got me so excited about that way of thinking um, and, and helping teams to be safer, psychologically safer, because they've read the book, uh, because they're involved with the book, um, than had we not done that. So I, I'm I'm very excited about the the continual learning that will come from this book, not just what we've learned so far. And JB, maybe in the next episode, we have a talk about what the plans are for the book beyond the book, because I know you've got some irons yeah. in the fire there. But... Yeah, there's lots of lots of things that we're talking about. Sure. Okay, uh, William. Um, sorry, last but no means least, of course doing that to me. Um, obviously, uh, I, I, I totally uh, uh, agree with the points that, that Dave and JB have both made, um, because I, I, I think they, all, they are also things that probably we would all want to take into account. But I guess I'd like to go back a little bit further than just 20 years and maybe go back um, 35 years when I very first opened uh, my, the business, my own business door uh, before I got involved even with, um, with UKRD later. And I think one of the things that I think the book also tries to encourage managers and leaders to be is authentic 
and not to worry too much about something that is a false representation of them. And if mistakes are made, have the courage like everybody else to say, got that wrong, lessons I've learned. Um, and, and I think people recognize that leadership is tough. Uh, it's difficult. It's very, very lonely at times. And I think if they can see someone in front of them who is authentic all the time, which means they don't have to act and be something that they're not, I think they'll respond to that more effectively. And that means being open to be challenged because life's like that. That means acknowledging when you've got a uh, got something wrong because life's like that. And also empathizing with people, both from a personal perspective as well as a professional perspective. So I think the book also touches on the principle of being you. Um, and it's fine to be you with all of your foibles and errors of judgment, because that's life. And that is also a no normal environment. And I think authenticity is something I wish I'd been sat down and told about and not to worry about when I was 25. Uh, and probably I would have got to where I got to a lot quicker philosophically uh, than I eventually got there. Thank you very much. I'm conscious, ladies and gents, um, in the audience and uh, for the gentlemen that I'm uh, privileged to sit around, that our time is up for the podcast. Um, but um, any closing comments, feel free to, to interject. But um, while, while we do that, JB, um, it, it would be very offensive if I didn't ask how the building work was going on next door in your garden as part of oh. our weekly podcast. <laughs> I built this shed. Um, with a car parking space outside with a nameplate on it, Dave. Can you believe it? <laughs> to avoid all the noise that was going on at the front uh, of my house with all the scaffolding and everything else. So I get into the back garden and they've decided to come back into the back garden with me, the builders next door. So uh, apologies to the listeners for all the, um, the noises off. And uh, yeah, so uh, hopefully next time they would have finished the flipping garden. And the fox has been recovered. Um, anyway, um, thank you very much, um, William and Dave, for joining us. Honestly, it's been um, it's been great to to reminisce with you both, if nothing else. Um, and um, please, ladies and gents, go and buy the book. I will be buying my copy. I am promised a signed copy too, but I'm going to go and buy an extra copy um, to you. give to friends and family. So, the No Normal Leader um, on Amazon. Um, you can buy a paper edition in the UK, I think, for six ninety nine. Kindle anywhere in the world, two ninety nine, or in your local currency. Um, sounds to me like a really good book, and I promise you from Working with these people before, there's an awful lot of wisdom, which I think um, if you take even a handful of things from it can really transform how you work in business, especially as they say, normal doesn't exist. This is a no normal world. Anyway, I've been Anthony Price. And I've been Jonathan Bradley with William Rogers and Dave Cool and a very, very special edition. And same time next week, guys. <laughs> Deal. <laughs> Thank you very much for, uh, for having us on. Thank you.